I left a note on Laura's desk It said I love you, signed anonymous friend Turns out she's smarter than I thought she was In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestown you proudly presents Trek Quest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek Quest 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 157. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, welcome in to the mystery podcast that uh, I didn't bother to really announce to anyone that we were going to do. <laughs> well, people should just know at this point what our schedule is. <laughs> well, we do have a calendar that you're supposed to be updating. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. How's that going? <laughs> Not so well. we'll fix Jim, that. can we take a look up to the leaderboard? <laughs> oh, no? No one's been updating. Great. Uh, yeah, I sent, actually, I did send out a tweet saying that we were recording. I did not post anything on Facebook, nor did I send out an email. Uh, yeah, I this was, uh, this was a hard week for me. A lot of, like, surprise! Surprise! <laughs> I had, uh, I got to go on my first official... Uh, business trip. Oh yeah, this week uh, I had to fly into Long Beach and meet with a client. Um, and before anybody's like, "Oh wow, Long Beach, huh?" No, wasn't that great? I was there for one day, <laughs> and I had to get up at like five thirty in order to make the plane. And then got home at what eight thirty? I got home. The plane landed at seven thirty. Didn't get home till I think probably about eight. Um, but yeah, long day and. Uh, yeah, it's not as glamorous as what they portray. <laughs> um, anyway, it was still exciting to do that, to say, you know, I've officially put that under my belt, you know, first trip. And then we have a big presentation that's going to be coming up. And so it was sort of like, surprise, we need this stuff like in the next two hours. Could you guys hurry up and finish up <laughs> what is going to be the massive amount of the actual presentation? Could you get that finished up, please? No one had been managing that. No one had been actually paying attention to what was going on and what dates we needed to hit. So, it all ended up working out in the Sounds end. Sounds like it needs a project manager. Apparently, it was given one. It's just like a little bit late to the party. <laughs> um, anyway, so we got all of our stuff off. We finished up. I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave at 4.30 today because I feel like I've earned it. Um, you know, I was going to, you know, screw all around that last 30 minutes of, of work. And I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here, Joey. Finally able to start talking about some Battlestar Galactica again. Oh, I'm glad you're here too, Pete. Thanks. I tried doing the podcast without you last week, and I don't know how well it worked. <laughs> it was just so one note. <laughs> um, I listened to half of it. It was interesting to hear some different type of content being discussed, and I think some people enjoyed it. Oh, good. Maybe out there, so that that's always good. I, I'm sure it was new area for us to kind of discover and start to maybe try and do something with, because 
seems like you're going to be going back to Life, the Universe, and Everything yeah, conference, so. right? Yeah, I um, hope so. So maybe you can make that a, a yearly thing. That Next the, year, I think I'm going to try and get Tracy Hickman. He's kind of a perennial visitor to Life, the Universe, and Everything. And they're actually saying perhaps Orson Scott Card next year. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd like to pin him down and call him a plagiarist to his face. Oh. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> do not. You, the, the, if you do that, then you cannot mention Trekwest 5. <laughs> you do not have a mandate from the podcast to do that. Okay. Understood. No. Why? Why can't you just leave the man alone? <laughs> I, he gave I, us Ender's Game. Let's be grateful for that and just move on. Everything else, just ignore it. <laughs> But there were supposed to be some other big names there, like Brandon Sanderson, Pat Rothfuss. Yeah. Uh, all who flaked I, out. I, I don't know what happened with Rothfuss, but uh, Sanderson, obviously, on book tour. Uh, he's out promoting the last book in the Wheel of Time series. So he just wasn't able to fit into his schedule, which I, I can appreciate that. I think Rothfuss may just hate Utah. Could be. Could be. Or Mormons. Could be his beard. Maybe his beard wouldn't fit on the plane. <laughs> Anyway, you had a good time there, am I right? Yes, I enjoyed myself quite a bit. And got to pontificate about poetry? Yes, and the use of poetry to provide depth and realism to a fantasy world. Now, I think you need to explain to our our listeners why anyone should ever listen to you. <laughs> as, as far as poetry is concerned. <laughs> oh, as far as poetry is concerned. Because say, you got onto this panel and yes. when you told me about it, I said... Serious? Like, are they hard up for people? Like, they just can't. They need. I need some warm body to just sit well, there. Well, I, I am a I am a published author living in the state of Utah. Okay, and uh, so what have you been a part of? Where Where are you publishing for? What? So Maybe I a bit. I have been a three time uh, National Choice Award winner. In fact, they one of my poems they used as a selection, and they actually hired a professional poetry reader to come in and read them, and they pressed the CD and, and sold that. Oh, nice. Uh, I actually was not particularly happy with his rendition of my poem, so Ooh. I have a different... <laughs> oh, two artists clashing. He got it exactly wrong. In fact, I don't think he could have got it much more wrong had he been intentionally trying to piss me off. <laughs> Great. But yeah, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a writer... And, uh, and in a, as someone who aspires to continue to write, uh, I attend LTUE. I've attended it twice now, ever since I found out what it was two years ago. Um, this year, I, I actually was a gopher. So it's a volunteer that I was specifically there to help with the AV. Even though I already had a, a paid-for ticket, normally the people who are there as gophers are there to get the free ticket. Uh-huh. Um, I said, you know what? You guys need the AV help. Uh, the way I explained it to my wife was, Look, one of two things is going to happen here. Either I'm going to go and I'm going to do the AV for these guys and it's going to be great. Or I'm going to go, someone else is going to do the AV for these guys and I'm going to sit there in the audience the whole time pissed that they did it wrong. <laughs> so if I want it done right, I just I have to do it myself. Yeah. Because as some people will remember, you did AV stuff when you were in high school. Yes. And it was actually a career path that you really considered going yeah, into. Yeah, I, I, it's a, a deep passion of mine, actually. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why we're so interested in making sure that the audio quality is good, because it means something to you specifically. Not just like, hey, we want to sound smooth. <laughs> yes. 
sexy. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a standard of of quality that I have. Right. Uh, the the interesting thing was that they they give out an award every year to they call it the Jenna Award. It's named after a woman who's been volunteering for LTUE for like twenty years or something like that. Uh, every year they pick the gopher that they feel worked the hardest, and they give him the award. And so this year I was the Jenna Award winner. Get out of town! You won an award. I did. Yeah. Did you get a plaque or a certificate? So, so what they did is they said, uh, "Well, what are you doing on Saturday night?" And I said, "Ah, oh, I don't know, nothing particular." Well, I am going to the banquet. I did pay for a ticket to the banquet. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, well, we were going to give you a ticket to the banquet. That's usually what we give the Jenna Award winner." <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I already bought one, thanks. I'm all right. Um, and so so then they go down and they negotiate with this woman there from a a spa and massage studio. They say, okay, we're going to give you the ticket to the, to the gala dinner, and then you're going to give this man a massage. And they do this without checking with me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right there in front of everyone? Yeah, so she's there. Like, she, <laughs> she's in the... She's in the vendor suite and just giving massages to people. So it's like it's like a dollar a minute or sure, yeah, fifty dollars for a table massage right. kind of thing. And so like, okay, you know, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna give you this ticket and then we're gonna have this guy come down. And she's like, okay, yeah, that that works out great for me. It's you know thirty dollars value. It's okay, yeah. So then they go up and they're like, hey, have you been down to the Holland Heart and Hearts and Hands booth? And I didn't quite hear what the guy was saying. Uh, I thought he said the hall of hearts and hands. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, don't think I have been down to that. that, Where was that hall? (laughs) And he's like, well, come on down. And so we go down there. And as we come around the corner and I see the sign, I realize what what he said. And I stop him. I say, listen, I I understand what you're about to do here. And I just... We're, we're right in front of this poor woman's booth, you know. And she's actually there. She's giving uh, a massage to a guy named Howard Taylor, who's somewhat of a Utah celebrity. He writes an online webcomic called Schlock Mercenary. It is, it is his full time job. He makes pretty good money every year doing an online webcomic. He's there getting a massage, and I said, "Look, you know, I, I just have to tell you, I can't stand strangers touching me. I, I'm just not comfortable with it." And this so shocks everyone in the room that I said this out loud that even the guy laying there, Howard, getting the massage, looks up at me with this look on his face like, are you some kind of idiot? <laughs> and I look at the massage lady and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive. I, you know, I don't mean that in any way to disparage your crafting thing. She says, I'm not offended. Some people don't like it. I'm used to that. <laughs> and, Bless her heart. And I, I think that this man that was trying to give me this award is about ready to kill me because he's trying to find some way to reward me. And at every turn, I'm like, nope, nope, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you know what? Aaron, my brother Aaron was there with me, and he was also a gopher. I said, Aaron might like a massage. Please, please tell me that the masseuse says, you know, I'm really not comfortable touching people. So we go down and we find Aaron in one of his sessions. We pull him out. The guy says, hey, uh, would you like a massage? We tried to give it to Joey. He didn't want it. Aaron says, I don't like strangers touching me. Uh, yes. And the guy says, I cannot believe the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and Aaron says, because uh, he, he explains to Aaron, yeah, you know, it's the Jenna Award and we give it out every year. We tried to give him the banquet ticket and he didn't want the banquet ticket because he'd already bought his own. Mm-hmm. Aaron said, 
I'd like a banquet ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave Aaron my banquet ticket, and he that's got to go great. to the banquet. Oh, that's good. Unfortunately, we were actually gophering uh, all the way up to the very last minute. So we missed the start of the banquet and ended up not even being able to sit at the same table. And I, didn't, I sat at the table with a bunch of people that I didn't know, and not one of them said a word to me the yeah. entire time I sat there. And I thought, you jerks. <laughs> I, I, I gophered some of your sessions. You can at least say thank you. <laughs> But uh, it was a, it was a really good time. Um, I, I had some fun interviewing these guys. Uh, a few of them are guys that are are local. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to those guys. I love talking to James Owen. Uh, I don't, Pete, I don't think you made it to that part of the of the podcast. Yeah, as I was telling Joey, I I only got about uh, almost halfway through it. I like I don't listen to my our own podcast. Yeah. I, yeah. I I had to stop because <laughs> otherwise I would then be a liar. <laughs> Well, you could just listen to the James Owen part now. Okay. Uh, because I really enjoyed the conversation I had with him. And I, I also especially want to mention that I enjoyed the conversation I had with, with Darren Hansen to kick off the podcast. Uh, he, he is a guy that I've talked to both years now that, in fact, he and I, well, the way the whole interview thing came about is that he and I were standing in the hall and we talked for about an hour and a half. We just stood there and had this great conversation. And as I walked away, I thought, why didn't I pull my phone out and yeah. record that? What an idiot I am. How many years have I been doing this with Pete? And I'm having this great conversation with this guy, and it never even occurs to me to record it. And that's when I called you that night and said, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to try and interview some of these guys. Because I really enjoyed that conversation that I had with him. And I enjoyed the conversations I had with, with all of them as well. Uh, but it, that's what kind of put the, the seed of the idea into my head. You know, I next year, if you have the opportunity to do some more interviews... You need to start off with saying, "Ah, you, you've probably done a few interviews over, you know, over your years of being in, you know, what, what not. What is the the one or two question that you absolutely hate having to answer <laughs> over and over again? Uh, that way, it might save you if some embarrassment of okay. like, oh, what is your favorite book series? <laughs> you know, there's something cheesy like that, but." I think uh, what what you did there was really good. I think it was a good addition to the podcast. So I'm glad that you had the idea and you did it. Um, I mean, w- <clears throat> we've had poetry podcasts before because you enjoy poetry. But I didn't realize you enjoyed poetry so much to the extent that you'd been, you know, in some sort of published work and received an award for it. Have you not seen my trophy? I have a trophy that's if about I have, three feet I, high. I haven't noticed that what it was for. <laughs> I just assumed that you actually went down to a trophy shop and bought a trophy for, for myself. yourself. <laughs> Best Smith. <laughs> well, that one's an easy easy win. <laughs> Ten years running. No, yeah, I have, I'll, I'll dig out the trophy sometime and show it to you. Okay. Maybe you could take a picture of it and post it up. I think uh, I have a picture the, of it on, on the Home Star Me. Uh, really? On the Home Starring Photo Gallery, I think there's a picture of it. I I don't remember. Post it up to Facebook. Okay. If you can find it on the Home Starmy, put a link to it uh, to Facebook. Okay. Um, anyway, that was fun for you, I'm sure, uh, and for some of the people listening. I, I, I just do, do want to say, um, my greatest disappointment at this year's LTUE is that I was so busy running from event to event setting up projectors because... Heaven forbid anyone ever tell us ahead of time that they need a projector. Most of them wanted to let us know right as they were starting their session. We had three projectors, and I was having to schlep the things all around the convention center. Um, My my biggest regret from this year is that I didn't get a chance to sit down with Rafe and Wolfson 
who made a fan film, produced, directed, cast right. everything right here in the state of Utah called Flight from Shadow, and it is a, an interpretation of some portion of The Eye of the World, the first book in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series, uh-huh. which we're currently reading through uh, as the Homestarmy. Yep, a little plug out there. We're, go to thehomestarmy.com, uh, our blog, and uh, you can join in on the reread if you're a, a fan. Or if you're not a fan and have been looking for an opportunity to become one. They, okay. <laughs> That's going to be really hard for you to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to see that. And I, and I actually have connected with Raven since then to say, hey, as soon as this thing is available for general release, let me know. And we'll be covering it on Joey's Culture Corner. Ah, oh, cool. Did you let him know that we're doing a reread of uh, the Wheel of Time stuff? I didn't. I only had about two minutes to actually talk to the guy at any given point. Oh, Most of that I was. See. Spent. I thought you meant like you had sent him an email. Uh, I sent him a thing on Facebook. Uh, well, what happened was Aaron, as my assistant AV gopher, stuck a piece of equipment in his pocket that belongs to this guy. <laughs> so Aaron did you a favor. Yes. <laughs> and and so I connected with him on Facebook to say, hey, uh, you know, come down and get your get your component. And he still hasn't come down to get it, but. It's in my desk at work. <laughs> Rafe, if you're listening, I've got it. I'm ready. Awesome. Uh, okay. Well, very cool. Um, let's see here. We go to Facebook Find of the Week. Facebook Find of the Week. Uh, hands down, this has got to go to uh, Listener Fishhead for what he posted up, uh, that, that old school pulp magazine cover <laughs> of Trek West 5. That was sweet looking. <laughs> I really, really liked that. So, Fishhead, aside from what you generally do, which is actually do something on the Facebook group, and most of us don't, thank you for that. But thank you for putting that up there because it's it's awesome. I loved it. It was pretty cool. I actually had seen those at LTUE. It made me wonder if Fishhead was maybe at LTUE. Oh, because uh, Tracy Hickman used those in his presentations at LTUE. Okay, so congratulations, Fishhead. Um, you will still continue to not receive an award, uh, though you have my undying respect, <laughs> which may die someday. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um. All right. So, Brandy's Duck of Darkness. Uh, I may we may need to take a break here <laughs> for me to rest my voice before we start reading. He sent in a dissertation on uh, the American gods. Well, that's good because uh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it here. Uh, he says, "What's up, everybody? The Brain Nation is proud once again to bring you a riveting collaboration with the corner that Joey shoves us into each week." We are going to darken up that corner just a little to Yin's Joey and Brainy's American God cast. It should be stated that I, at least, believe that within this tale, as with everything, God is everywhere and everything. This story, however, occurs way further down the celestial totem pole, far from God and closer to us, with a group of demiurges and minor gods that are really only a step above humans. They are killable, and they require sustenance. (laughs) Intro. And so I ask you, dear listeners, how are gods created? First, they are imagined. Then, they are believed in. But for a belief to transcend the threshold of concept, 
It must surrender its individuality to become a meme, a whisper in the hearts and minds of a culture. Identity is now comprised of what of of what people believe you to be. Quote, everyone gets to create you in their own minds. You are a thousand aspects of what people need you to be, and everyone wants something different from you. Nothing is fixed, nothing is stable. Close quote. These incarnations are the aggregate of millions of perspectives and ideas, fueled by the power of belief. That quote is from a character who did not make it into the novel from the bon- um, make it into the novel from the bonus chapter that is an addendum to Neil Gaiman's 2011 10th anniversary edition of American Gods. I love stories that fuse the ancient religions with the new world, and Neil Gaiman is an author who was uniquely qualified for such a task. Moving from the UK, the US served Neil Gaiman not only as a metaphor, but the chance to chronicle the exploration of his new country with the notion that America is now the recipient of the hopes and fears of scores of generations who journeyed here from distant lands. They brought the beliefs and myths from their homelands. Uh, Piskies from Europe and Jinn from the Near East and the myriad of animistic gods from Africa. The majority of these people overcame pain and suffering on scales that we could never conceive, but we can understand at least, that despite the strength of a particular adversity, our capacity as humans to survive through faith is insurmountable. And so, out of need for sustenance, if nothing else, the old gods from hundreds of worlds accompanied their believers to this land. The clashing of the old gods and the new is always fun, and American Gods presents a modern interpretation of this idea in perfect form. The new gods are doing great. The cars, the TV, media, and the annoying evil uh, impetuous I-M-P-E-T-U-O-U-S. Impetuous? Yeah, I guess it's impetuous. I guess I just never... I've said it millions (laughs) of times, but I've never actually seen it written out, apparently. (laughs) Sorry, Brainy. Um, And the annoying, evil, impetuous fat kid known as the Internet. (laughs) The Internet. (laughs) I think, actually, his name is Technology in the book. Okay. The railroads may not be doing as well as the rest, but the new gods are in fact thriving. The old gods aren't doing so well, but they are much more fun. We meet so many memorable demiurges like Ibis, Anubis, Bast, Ganesh, Kali, Mama G, uh, Zernabog, the Zoria sisters, and a very tall... Dirty, junky leprechaun. Most of the old gods live a less uh, live a slightly less than comfortable existence, for they don't have as much belief as they used to. They are initially presented as endearingly messy old people. As Shadow progresses through his journey, he is able to see additional manifestations of these deities. Thus, incarnation is a heavy theme throughout the novel. 
the Thunderbirds. They help Shadow a lot. They, to many Native Americans, are the most holy beings. I actually, while in college, got to hear an old Objibiwi man tell a few stories about the Thunderbirds and people who were lucky enough to glimpse the majestic creatures hunting. It was cool. Mr. Nancy. Under the right conditions, Shadow is able to see multiple incarnations of the godfolk. He meets a Mr. Nancy who appears as a tall, old black man with lemon-yellow gloves. He is very debonair and endearing and one of the few characters that everyone seems to like. Later, when Shadow is having a moment of enlightenment, it was, quote, it was like seeing the world through the multifaceted jewel eyes of a dragonfly, but each facet saw something completely different, close quote. With his polymorphic vision, he sees he views Mr. Nancy as the pencil mustachioed man he knew. But at the same time, he sees other images of him. One of a tall jeweled spider, its eyes an emerald nebula. He also saw a tall man with six arms with an ostrich feather headdress riding a lion. Also, he saw a raggedy black child. And behind everything... Shadow viewed a little brown spider. Shadow somehow understood that these were all aspects of the same thing. The brown spider is Anais. Anansi. Anansi. I was given a pronunciation that I hadn't gotten to yet. (laughs) Thank you, by the way, Brandy, for providing that. You couldn't have managed to put it on there for the Objibwe man? (laughs) Uh, Continuing, the brown spider is Anansi, a trickster character from African folklore. Anansi's origin are from the country of Ghana, tribe of Ashanti. One of my my religious studies professors was from Ghana, and so I actually have heard tons of little spider stories that highlight Anansi's clever wit. Although I heard tales from the source... No story compares to the one that Mr. Nancy tells in uh, when he addresses the massive host of gods that Wednesday had assembled. It is an amazing story. It is my favorite story. I, however, am not sure whether the tale can be told on the podcast. I leave it to Joey to decide. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Although it would be great to hear Pete sing... La la la, I ate tiger balls, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good Good thing I don't have to come up with a tune for that one. Uh, okay, let's see here. The Buffalo-Headed Man. Another favorite character appears to shadow independently from everything else going on in the story. In his dreams, Shadow journeys, quote, into the earth and under the earth, close quote, to visit a man in a cave with a buffalo head. He tells Shadow to believe everything. Oh, hold on, I just is, want to clarify. It's a man with a buffalo head in a cave. It is not a man in a cave with a buffalo head. The distinction there being, it's the man who has the buffalo head, not the cave. Okay. <laughs> he is the land. Yes, he is We're, America. Okay. 
We are here because the land allowed us to be, and the buffalo-headed man helped Shadow find within himself the qualities necessary to bring peace to the ensuing war. Charcoal Suit Dude Joey, what do you think about that guy that Shadow can't remember in Vegas? Is he so insidious that you can't even remember his name? He may be the Hindu uh, Mekari god of honey and wisdom. Odin orders him a Lafarage and water, a lovely peat-tasting Irish scotch. Someone told me once that peat and mercury have something to do with each other. Charcoal, too, is related somehow. Mercury also evaporates super quickly, just like Shadow constantly forgets this dude. What the hell was that all about? <laughs> you know, I'm that, not going to lie. That made absolutely no sense. That scene did not stand out for me as much as it did for Brainy. So I, I can't say I speculated on it at the time that I read it. I don't know. I hadn't given it Would you care to you elaborate on any of that? Because I'm not kidding around. Well. That made no sense. So uh, there, there's a guy that appears a couple times in the book that... Once once he's like out of the scene, the main character can't really remember anything about him. And and so what well, what I understand Brain to be asking here is okay, speculate on why that is. What what is going on with that character? Is he supposed to represent a god that we can't ever seem to remember? Then uh, again, like I said, at the time I read it, I wasn't that compelled by that character, and so I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about him. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I, I just want to interject here while, while you just give your voice a rest there. Um, for for people who haven't read American Gods, this is... I, I once heard Neil Gaiman describe it as his love letter to America. And and the, the conceit is that there's a whole lot of people who come here and they bring systems of belief with them here. But America as a country, it's like the last country on earth that's still trying to figure out what its identity is. We don't have a single culture. We're the melting pot. We're the, you know, everything kind of comes here and, and gets mish, mishmashed up and it becomes unique and different. And we are constantly reinventing ourselves as a country. And the, the, the premise of American Gods is, well, what happens to all those beliefs? What, what happens to us as a society, as a culture, when we're not rooted the way some of these other societies are in thousand-year-old myths or even older myths that are their, you know, it's their tether, it's their constant. America just kind of goes with the flow, and, and we're constantly re reinventing ourselves. We're also constantly reinventing our cultural mm -hmm. identity. And that is that to me is what makes american gods so interesting is it's it's more about the things that don't stick than the things that do if that makes sense okay moving on shadow moon it's difficult by the way i didn't need any rest to my voice <laughs> i'm doing fine all right, over here all right. you just go rest your voice over there that was a good that was a good summary, by the way. <laughs> Shadow Moon. It's difficult to describe exactly why I like the character of Shadow so much. He is the strong, silent type. A champion of simplicity. He does coin tricks and muses. 
At the time I was first reading American Gods, like Shadow, I was going through a bad breakup. But this was much worse. So that helped. I enjoy how Neil Gaiman employs his incarnation theme with Shadow's dead wife. As he accidentally zombies her with a magic coin, she returns to help him throughout the novel, each time in a progressed state of smelly decay. Somehow I found that therapeutic and a nice metaphor for relationships. So the, 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 the novel starts out actually with Shadow getting out of prison after a three-year stint in prison for a crime that he committed basically because his wife asked him to. She asked him to be involved in some crime. He did it. He got caught. He went to prison. While he's in prison, his wife starts having an affair with his best friend. And like a couple days before he's supposed to get out of prison, they are having sex in the car as he's driving down the road. Car crash. They both die horribly. Shadow, without understanding what he's doing, brings his wife back as basically a zombie. Uh, not really a zombie, but she's she's clearly undead. Uh-huh. Uh, has no life in her, has no motive power, has no real desire to to be or to do. And as he says, she appears several times throughout the book. Like her body is rotting away as she's walking around, shambling around, trying to help Shadow out on on his little quest here. Uh, that's really funny that. <laughs> Because, like, like he says, it was a pretty bad breakup. I mean, the guy did three years in prison for her, and then she dies, and he gets out of prison, goes to the funeral. It's actually at the funeral that he finds out, oh, yeah, she was having an affair with your best friend the whole time. <laughs> pretty rotten. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Wednesday, and in the carnation of Odin, a very dirty, Jack Daniels-smelling version of the Allfather. His secret is charm. He also is a grifter. He tells Shadow of awesome two grifts he used to pull. I don't have the space to describe them. Joey can expound on them. Violin grift and the bishop in the jewelry shop. Mm. Also, Joey, I was never quite sure how Wednesday and Shadow robbed that bank. Can you explain that? No, I can't remember. I actually, I, I was going to mention earlier, it's like, I know that they robbed this bank, but I can't remember. There's like, there's a, there is a trick to it. Whiskey Jack, a great character. Funny, too. He dislikes white man, but likes his beer. He is a cultural, he is a culture hero based on the Native American. Yeah. Wasakajihijiki. Seriously? Nothing there either? <laughs> Uh, wears jeans and a t-shirt. He invites Shadow for a beer and uh, at all the right times. And you can visit him unless he wants you to. Oh, sorry. You can't visit him yeah. unless he wants you to. Chilling with Johnny Appleseed. He just seems like a really cool dude. All in all, American Gods, uh, he as rich, is as rich in texture and diversity as America herself. As Wednesday said, quote, Liberty is a female dog who must be bedded with a mattress of corpses, close quote. But the buffalo-headed man said, Peace we prevail, the land we always win. It was here first. I will end with one keen observation made by Odin. 
Quote, America is the only country in the world that is still trying to figure out what it is. Close quote. American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Sci-Fi 10, Horror 10, yeah. Fantasy 10, Mystery 10, Western 8, and soon to be TV? Well, HBO plus Tom Hanks equals I'm optimistic. Um, you know, this kind of sounds to me like this is... Um, I don't want to say that there's a political comparison because there's not. But this is kind of like Animal Farm. Okay. We're telling a story by using a whole ton of other metaphors to kind of mask a little bit about what, what it is. To make it more palatable to have a conversation about, you know, whatever this religion um, America is trying to figure out that it's going to have. I'd say you have the technique right, but the purpose wrong. It, that's definitely the technique that he uses, but I don't honestly believe Gaiman is trying to say anything by this book other than America is a pretty cool place and there's room for everything here. You know, as a, I, I remember that, uh, I think it's in American Gods. There's one part where they're talking about how, um, geographically, geographically, the way Americans are spaced out across our country compared to like Europe and the, the population density you have there in Europe, there, there's still so much room here for us to be open and, and accepting. And to, but the cost there is that we continue to diverge and to, and to, Try to re-identify all the time what we are as a country. So it sounds like uh, if I could uh, throw my own metaphor in there, it's like uh, you know the melting pot is, you know, got various die cuts that it continues to excrete out like the Play-Doh, you know, <laughs> toy, and uh, we just keep churning out more and more and yeah. more as as more stuff gets thrown into the pot. Yeah, that's a, that's a good good metaphor. I like that. Um, I I really like American Gods. Here's the thing. Brainy's probably going to disagree with me on this, but I'd say American Gods is on the border of pornographic at times. Really? Uh, it's definitely, I think you could comfortably say it's there There are sections that are erotica, um, or at least one. <laughs> There's one part that is clearly erotica. There's no question about it. Uh, but the difference between... The, the way it's done here and the way it's done, for example, in George R.R. R. Martin is this is trying to try. It's like it's it all happens at arm's length. It, it doesn't happen to anybody in the story that we would care about. It, it None of the none of the pornographic things really involve, in my opinion, any major characters. Whereas in Martin, you know, we, we get down and we wallow in it and we have to spend the next three books feeling how it affected that character and things like that. In this, it's just kind of, yeah, you know, some of those religions are, the, you know, their religious identity and their sexual identity were very tied up in each other. And it's just a fact of that religion. And, and Gaiman is not going to pull punches as he tells that story. Um it's it's very very bizarre story. First of all, I, you know he 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 kind of he did something funny there where he gave his ratings and he said, oh yeah, sci fi this and horror this and uh, mystery or 
whatever whatever ratings he gave it. This actually won the Locus Award, which is a science fiction award. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other awards it won. It won like a Lovecraft Award. It, it, it's won awards in like science fiction, fantasy, horror. Like even the publishers don't know what how to categorize this book. They're just like, yeah, it's just kind of gaming, just kind of going all over the place. And he he doesn't ever at any point really dig into any one of the myths and try to try to say, oh, here's what this myth means, and here's where I was going with this, and here's the whole story. It's just kind of a hey, let's look at all the cultural diversity that there is, and let's let's enjoy it, and let's let's take part in it, and then pick the things we like and leave what we don't. And that is that is the essence of being American. That's what the buffalo-headed man tries to tell us. Believe everything. Because there's a little bit of value in all of this stuff. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of the, of the book, I'm trying to remember if they ever actually give them a name or not. Uh, the, whole, the whole thing is about a war between the old gods and the new gods. And in my opinion, the war is over the control of the men in black. The uh, the the shadowy organization that controls the American populace, <laughs> and he, he makes the it sounds like a schizophrenic book. It, 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 in one part, one of the characters is talking about how they're fighting over the men in black because the men in black obviously exist just because so many people believe they do, and that you know that's <laughs> that's one of the conceits of this book. The only thing that makes a god a god is that people chose to believe in it. Well, all of us choosing to believe in the men in black conspiracy theory has actually created the men in black. And they are actually now a real force that the new gods and the old gods are fighting over because it is so much more pervasive than either the new gods or the old gods. That control of that elemental belief of humanity is is a power to be fought for. You bring up a very interesting question, one that has been posed by... You know, people throughout the ages, I'm sure, which is if it if there is a God, does belief in him, is that actually a requirement for that God to exist? So in our particular culture, we believe that there is, you know, one God that has created all things. Yeah. And whether you believe in him or not, he is still your he is God. Constant. He was yeah. still there. He still created all of this thing, regardless of whether or not you choose to ever recognize him or are even cognizant that some being like that could even exist. So does Gaiman get into that at all? or Because it sort of sounds like he's saying... Well, in order to be a god, you have to get people to start believing in you. And I can, well, I can understand that around. from uh, from a certain set of things. So, go explain it, what it is. Is if people believe, then the god comes into being because people believed. Sure, sure, okay, I, I can it, see it's, that. It's the belief that causes the creation rather than the other way around. He's he, his assertion is that. We have that relationship exactly backwards. It's not creation that makes us want to believe in them. It's not the fact that they created us as humanity that makes us gives the reason we should believe in them. It's rather our belief in them that creates them as gods. And, and the extent of their power 
derives directly from the number of and strength of belief of their believers, their followers. Which is why... Yeah, in my mind that you just reaffirmed everything I just said, that in order to be a god, you have to have people believing in you. Otherwise, you're not a real... You're, you're not a god. And you don't exist. Yeah, so everybody out there in the world today could be completely, totally wrong about the god that they worship. And, you know, maybe there's bits and pieces of it that are real. And, you know, the the god that did create everything, you know, nobody ever actually believes in him fully correctly the way that he actually exists. They've created their own set of, you know, I guess demigod or what have you splinter of him yes so in my mind and again i i have nothing else other than the the one religion class i took (laughs) in college and you know my my entire history it seems to me that if there is some god that exists it would not require belief in that God in order to exist. You could then choose to worship something else as a God, but that doesn't necessarily give it God-like qualities. I, I guess that statement's flawed, as I define what God is. So I guess I'm kind of trying to make my own point and then contradicting myself <laughs> on top of it. At the end of the day, this is this is fantasy it's science fiction it's, right it's a fairy tale um you don't think that the game is really having an opportunity to discuss no i don't re- think i don't think he is, i don't think he is seriously trying to discuss religion at all i think he's trying to discuss culture and the american culture the distinctness of it because he's an import from from england right he came here and is he an import or is he a spy <laughs> well uh, what's the difference <laughs> Uh, you know, he he came here and he lived in the U.S. for a little while, and his experiences, his his brushes with American culture, he talks about how that made him want to write a book about the nature of America and how it's so very different from every other part of the world. Okay, well then I I completely picked up on all of the wrong parts. Then the, the, the I go- focused too much on the religious aspect of this yeah, instead the- of this is really about culture. I, I picked up on all the wrong things. So. It was pointless. What I was, tra- I still enjoyed the conversation. Saying okay, uh, I have to say for myself, I, I do enjoy. Did the conversation really take place though? If you didn't enjoy it, yes, but I didn't. If I, but I have to believe in it for it to have taken place. Well, believe in it in order for it to potentially become a god someday. You got to get the rest of our listeners to buy into it. Uh, you know, if you enjoy American Gods, if you liked the premise here, I would say another thing that you might enjoy that you should go try to find a copy of is Mark Wade's Irredeemable. This is a, a comic book. I'm pretty sure you can find it now as a graphic novel. It had a like a 30 or 40 issue run. And uh, the premise is... What if Superman were not well-adjusted? What if he were... What if it was all a front? Everything, all Superman's niceness and goodness and everything. What if all that was a front? 
I think you've mentioned and, this before. And one day he just snapped and decided, you know what? I'm done. I'm not putting up the front anymore. I'm going to be who I really am. And, you know, you got the super powerful, petulant boy running around the world and everyone trying to stop him and, and just him doing massive amounts of damage. Uh, as you read the series, you'll, you'll see why I correlate the two. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin too much for people. But uh, American Gods is is a great book. Um, I actually have not read the tenth anniversary edition. I think it's like fifty percent longer. I mean, like he he. So what happened was he wrote he wrote the book and he sent it to his editor and his editor chopped out a whole bunch and they published it and he was okay with it. Then they came back and they said, "Oh, we're going to do a tenth anniversary edition edition." Is there anything you'd like to add back in? He said, yes, all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he went and he tried to add back in the parts that got chopped out. But then he realized, oh, after ed- you know, in the process of editing, we changed things so that parts of this story no longer fit together. And, and things that, we, you know, that, we had tr- that I had done in the first pass that got cut, and then we moved away so that those no longer even fit the story. So they had to do a significant amount of rewrite of the novel. So I actually haven't read the 10th anniversary edition, which uh, sounds like Brainy kind of keyed off on there. Uh, I look forward to actually going out and picking up a copy. So you would give it a thumb up then, yes. despite what may some people might say is a yeah, bit say of a black it, eye it, kind of... It's very, uh, it's very adult. Don't Don't kid yourself. It's very much for adults. And if erotica or pornography bother you you probably shouldn't read it what about foul language because i know gaiman isn't exactly shy about it yeah i think there was some i don't remember it being like well i'm kind of desensitized to that so i'm probably the wrong guy to ask i wasn't particularly bothered put off by that aspect of this book uh i was more i was more bothered by the sexual tones of certain scenes than than by the the language. Oh, you are an American prude who's yes. comfortable with yes. his own sexuality. Yep. I, I prefer violence to sex. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episode one and two of Battlestar Galactica season two. And we'll start off with episode one, Scattered. As medics race to save Adama's life, Ty makes his first catastrophic decision as acting commander. Splitting Galactica from the rest of the fleet. <laughs> Never split the party, right? <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, he doesn't do it on purpose. Yes, yeah, true, true. Total accident. Poor Mr. Gaeta. Uh, so we have uh, some, some medics. Get some flashbacks going on here. They're coming up to pick up Adama and uh, take him away. And yeah... We look over at Boomer, and she's like, what? What happened? What happened? What's going on? <laughs> um, and he's, he's carted off, and Apollo kind of starts to go along with him, and he's like, and Ty says, put him in the brig. Yeah. Wow. Gutsy. Because I think if I'm Colonel Ty in that position, I think I let Apollo go with him. But Ty was pretty upset about the whole having the gun <laughs> shoved in his own face. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think Ty's that upset if it's if it's just some rather random officer. 
I think if it was someone else, he lets he lets really? Adama go. He lets Apollo go with the medics. But the fact that it was in his face, it's personal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can totally see that. Uh, it's just one of those things. Where you're like, holy crap! Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, so in the flashbacks, we're going to see them. You know, intermittent throughout the episode, we get to see. Uh, what we're supposed to believe is a young version of Bill Adama and a young version of Saul Tai, who happens to have hair. Um, well, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, they, they weren't winning any awards with the costume. the uh, the costuming on that, the makeup stuff. I love the ma- the mustache though. It's <laughs> great. I've never seen a, a the lip caterpillar. <laughs> Uh, okay, so he makes a comment at one point. He says, go with what you know until something better comes along. And uh, they're trying to make up their decision about, hey, what are we going to do here? We've got the Cylons who are showing up. What are we going to do? And someone says, you know, if if this were Adama, we would be jumping away. In a second here, he's like, you're right. Go with what you know until something better comes along, and they jump away. Yeah. They send out, you know, where they're going to go to. But... When they reappear, Galactica's all alone. And we come to find out that what happened is, you know, the they hadn't given the computer information of Stellar Drift to the other ships. And so, therefore, while the coordinates were the same, they weren't the same. Yeah. They're going to, they got shifted in completely different directions and they have no way of figuring this out. And their thought is, well, we could go back, but it's going to take 12 hours to plot this. (laughs) Now, in my mind, I thought, you know, why don't they just send back a raptor? It seems pretty clear that the raptor's been able to fly around. And I don't mean the raptor that had the the little Cylon thing uh, on it. Yeah. But a raptor can go and, you know, be on the other side of the planet and get the fix that they need. And come back. Jump back. Yeah. That's just the way I I troubleshooted. Okay. Glad we're on the same page with that. Um, So, we have... uh, Let's see. I wrote mother and father... Yes. Gaius Baltar is apparently the father of the baby and Six is the mother. Head Six is the mother. It's going to kind of throw this out there to you. Is this the real six or is this head six? Because before, like the end of season one, he's like, this is the the future. This is what is going to come. Now in season two, it's this is our baby. I think it's metaphorical. You think it's metaphorical? I don't think there's an actual... I don't think this particular thing represents an actual physical baby. I think it represents the the blending of human and Cylon societies. Okay. So humans and Cylons will learn to live together peaceably. So, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, somehow, well, you know, I think, I think we even know. Through Sharon, the genetic, actual physical baby will come, but... Through having Gaius Baltar as the vice president is where the conceptual blending will come. Mm, okay. Okay. 
And po- probably even likely the president further down the line. Because what we have happen next is Gaius is kind of coming to, and it looks as though he's fallen over and he's kind of hit his head. Yeah. And, uh, or at least that's the way everybody's, you know, kind of like, hey, you are right here. What was going on? Crazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we, that's, we, we kind of move on from there. Helen Ty, uh, Helen wants Ellen. Ellen? Ellen. Mrs. Ty <laughs> wants her husband to start busting some asses, she says. Yeah. You know, this is who you are. And he's like, no, this is Bill Adama's ship. I, this isn't my ship. We're still running things the way that he would run it. And this is not what he would do. Gata was tired. He made a mistake. And she's like, no, that stupid Gata, he's terrible. He's, you know, just starts bad-mouthing him. Just causing trouble. Stirring things up. And Saul, Colonel Ty, seems to fend her off and not give in to that terrible side of what I think is himself. Because as the XO, he's it's his job to point right. out the yes. mistakes and say, "Hey, get in line." And and my question to you, Pete, is: Is he right to do that, or should he start running things the way he runs things? Until I don't think until the guy's dead and you're officially in charge that you should then start deciding. Okay, I'm going to make my own decisions and not consider the way that the previous commander would have run things. My, my, the point on which I disagree with you, disagree with you there. I don't think Ty can be an effective version of Adama. I think he'll, he will end up crippling his ability to lead whatever extent you want to argue his ability to lead even exists. He'll end up crippling himself and therefore crippling the fleet because he cannot be Adama. So you're you're kind of changing your mind then about what you... Because at one point, like earlier in season one, you're like, oh, Colonel Ty, he's going to come through at a moment and he's going to totally like lead the fleet through and he's going to do a great job. Yes, but... So no. you're, you're kind of changing a little bit on that. No, what I'm saying is it won't be until he starts leading the way Colonel Ty leads and stops trying to be Bill Adama. Oh, okay, so he's not embracing himself, and that's causing the problem. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Because he cannot be Bill Adama. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how much he believes this is still Adama's command, he can't do Adama. Don't you think he would be a better person if he tried to be Bill Adama, though? I think he might be a nicer person. I don't know that it necessarily equates to being a better person. See, because his role is he's supposed to be the jerk. Who is the guy pointing out everything, getting it fixed, yelling at you, it needs to be a certain way, and because he's the XO, so um, Commander Adama is, he he doesn't need to be that role, yeah, Yeah. he can be a little bit more, you know, I gotta oversee everything, and you can't follow a guy that is constantly harping at you. That's true, I... Well, at least that's, I guess, kind of how I see command. I don't know if that's actually it, having never actually been in command. I'll tell you my perception, also never having been in command. Oh, oh, you hadn't also been in charge of the battleship. You need both. You always need both. Which one of them is in command and which one of them is subordinate, I don't think matters so much. I, I, I equate it to, you know, the, the traditional 
father and mother roles in in a, a family. Mm. You need the one compassionate person and the one disciplinarian person, and it doesn't necessarily matter if the disciplinarian is the one that is perceived as in charge. As I, long as you have both roles there. I, I would disagree with that because I would, if I had the main guy, the leader, who's in charge, and it's very clear that the second in command is the one who's always being the buddy-buddy nice guy, I would want to have a mutiny and say, let's put the buddy-buddy guy up, <laughs> up top. Eh, you know, he seems nicer. He's willing to give me a hug sometimes, where the <laughs> other guy he just yells at me, throws a brick at me sometimes. Okay. I think they got it right, and I, uh, I completely agree. Colonel Ty is not Bill Adama, but I think he should try to emulate him just because Saul Ty is just a terrible person oh, in wow. general. Okay, you know, and could only be served, you know, to try and emulate someone better than himself. Okay, uh, in my two cents. You know, I, I want to put this. I, I can't remember at what point in these two episodes I started to think about this. So I'm just going to put it out there now before I forget about it. Uh, I've come to a new decision here on whose Cylons and who's not. Oh, so we're, are we abandoning the people who were sleeping together or Cylons we're, theory? We're, we are adapting <laughs> that theory. <laughs> okay. Um, only one of any given relationship is a Cylon. Oh, 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 so whoever the other half is would be either the human or Cylon in, right. in that yes. given pair. Okay. So, so whatever pairings are getting together that that we're seeing on screen. Right. Then that, then that indicates that one of them's a Cylon and one of them's a human. Mm, okay. Interesting. So Ellen that- Ty, Cylon. Okay. Colonel Ty, not a Cylon. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's see. Let's go through uh, Hilo and uh, Sharon. Sharon, a Cylon. Hilo, not. Not a Cylon. Okay. Uh, who else? Oh, we have... Dwala and Billy. Dwala's the Cylon. Dwala's a Cylon. I, Billy's I thi- not a Cylon. I think so, because it will be more crushing to the fans. <laughs> and writers love to do stuff like that. Doesn't she have like the just the, the prettiest smoky eyes? <laughs> When she like looks up, sometimes I think, my gosh, why did I vote six as the sexiest <laughs> woman? She is just dynamite. She is pretty pretty dynamite. Uh, let's see. So head six or six and and Baltar. Baltar's human. Six is is a Cylon. Okay, but we had, although it's not a relationship, we did have Baltar and Starbuck. Who got together, albeit briefly, for one night. Uh, Because it's a one-night stand, I don't think the rule applies. Not a relationship. Yeah. Doesn't apply. Yeah. And and this is all predicated upon the idea that I'm coming to that, okay, Cylons are trying to create human Cylon crossbreeds. And actually, I think if you go through the list there... I'm glad you didn't call them half-breeds. No, uh, Humanolons, right? <laughs> I'm glad you went with crossbreeds, not half-breeds. It just seems like less offensive. That's all I... I don't know how it could be. I know who would be offended, but I'm just saying crossbreeds seems less offensive than half-breeds. <laughs> I'm, I'm not offending the Cylons. It's good to know. <laughs> Perhaps they'll have mercy upon me. <laughs> I think there's some fan out there of ours who's listening that are saying, "Oh, thank goodness! I, that's thank you for not at least you didn't me. call them Cylon quadroons." 
<laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I, I believe if you actually go down the list, Cylons, all women. Humans, Ooh, all men. Okay, sure. Yeah, with that list. Okay. But we have seen some male Cylons. We have seen male Cylons, but, but male Cylons don't pair up with human paired. females. Right. Okay. Okay. Because um, Cylons can't, and this is my theory, male Cylons cannot reproduce sexually. Ooh. That's my theory. Okay. Uh, are there any other couples out there that we've seen? I, I'm racking my brain, but I don't think I don't that think there so. have been. There will be more. Okay. Uh, as we go through the series, because you, you just have to have. More. And I'm not saying there aren't any more male Cylons out there. Obviously, there are still plenty of models that we haven't been introduced to yet. Just saying, uh, my my current operating theory. At some point in these two episodes, I decided, okay, I'm going to now start assuming that out of any romantic pairing, that the female is probably a Cylon trying to have a, ba- a human a humanalon baby, which we really only have, uh, I guess. Four relationships now. So you have Ty, you have Boomer and Hilo, Boomer and Tyrrell. Uh, oh, Walla, Boomer and Tyrrell. and Billy. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Okay, so I guess we're up to five then. Because, um... um and uh, Gaius and Six. There's your yes, five. Yes, yes. Okay. I, I had forgotten about Tyrrell and uh, and Boomer. But they, they were... Romantically involved, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on here. Um, we're back on the planet, Cobol, and Crashdown is doing an excellent job once again of leading his troops. <laughs> and uh, Tyrrell, uh, chief, says, hey, I really think we need to take some time to get our supplies together. It doesn't seem like it would take that long because they heard the sonic boom of something entering the atmosphere. So they're like, okay, we've got to move now. We've got to get to the tree line. Well, we don't know it was something entering the atmosphere. Well, it seems like it would be. Like, that sounded like a sonic boom. It what sounded else? like a sonic boom, which could have just been cross-continental flight kind of. I mean, it could have been completely in atmosphere the whole time. Just a, a jet of some kind yeah, making okay. a sonic boom. Yeah, I suppose it's technically possible. Because I think that when we see Tarn die, I think it's humans. I think there are people still living on Cobol that are attacking the crash survivors. Ooh, I don't think like- they're being attacked by... Kind of like the others. Yes, kind of like the others. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's why I'm jumping saying, ahead a little bit, but yeah, I'm glad yeah. you, I'm glad you bring it up. Uh, that's why I don't think it's necessarily a something entering from orbit. It could be that these people yeah, have yet. What six says at the end, she starts to say to, um, oh, I guess maybe that's in the next episode, isn't it? Uh, thank you. Because head six says something to Gaius. About, oh, you, you know, look around you. Oh, yeah, it's in the next episode. Okay. In the next episode. All right. So, anyway, hey, we got to check some supplies. Are we going to check our supplies? Well, supplies might come back to bite us. <laughs> hey, the supplies came back to bite you. Who, 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 who saw that one coming? Yeah. No way to have known. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go to Caprica. Hilo defends Sharon, um, and she steals the ride. Yeah. It's funny line, you know. She runs out. Beast, <laughs> B took my ride, or whatever the the line is. Pretty funny. Back on Galactica, everybody's saying, "Hey, where's Doc Cottle at?" Oh, he's on this other 
chip that we don't know where isn't it is. here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the medic has to do it. Yeah, she has to be the one to cut into it. Meanwhile, as you know, she's nervous for it. His heart goes into arrest. She has. To, well, what we find out, she says she, you know, had to manually pump his heart for him, um, which that has got to be a nerve wracking experience <laughs> if you've never done it before. You know, like, am I squeezing too hard? Am I not squeezing hard enough? I like that they euphemistically call it heart massage. Like, I just totally see somebody down in there working with their elbow, you know? <laughs> Someone brings out hot rocks at some point, rubbing it all over. <laughs> Someone, they oil up their hands. Oh, here we go. Oh, that feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm so glad your your brain went there. Every time I hear someone say heart massage, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not as relaxing as I'm told massages are. <laughs> as previously established, I haven't, I haven't ever actually had one because I can't be touched by strangers. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, plus you'd have to be cut open, so that, that can't feel good. Yeah, yeah, that can't be pleasant. <sighs> okay. Um... So we come to the cell where Boomer is at, and Colonel Ty starts to question her. <laughs> I like that he intentionally hits her right on that wound. Oh, that yeah. great. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I was in that position, if I could hit that. I'd want to, like, punch the other side. Well, I just don't understand why Ty even goes in the cell with Boomer, because we've seen that Cylons can be, like, crazy strong and fast. Yes, yeah, we've seen that with Six, and we saw that with Lee Oben. Yes. So, yeah. I don't know why you take that risk. But, to be fair, we haven't... The only way we've seen that is from Lee Oben. Okay. You know, Six was on Caprica when, right. she, when she was beating up Starbuck. So, I guess maybe they could make the assumption, oh, that's only what a man can do. I see. She's okay. puny woman. <laughs> she is not strong. She's boomer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so he starts beating her up. It doesn't seem to do any good. He eventually stops and leaves for some reason. I can't remember why. Well, she's begging him to kill her. And I can only imagine that. Like, in my mind, I thought, okay, this is just the kind of guy Ty is. He said, oh, well, if you want me to kill you, then that's the last thing I'm going to do. Right. So, um... Uh, the pilots, um, oh, let's see here. Oh, we've got an ambush. Oh, why Why is there an ambush? Oh, it's oh, when oh, they're coming oh. back with the... Yeah, I, well, because all I wrote was ambush and the red shirt dies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> because that guy is a throwaway. Yeah. You know, he's not a character we've ever seen before, yeah. or at least to my knowledge. And... Uh, He's forgotten it, and he's standing out there, plug, 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 from the humans, residual humans yep. that have stayed on COBOL. Um, so, back to Galactica. Gata figures it out. He's like, hey, I know how we can cut down this 12-hour you know, computer time. Let's network the computers together and get them working all at the same time. And I'll develop a firewall that'll help keep out the Cylons. <laughs> this part of it, I was a little like, um, 
we're making some assumptions here. Yeah. Like, have we ever seen the Cylons try and hack their computer? <laughs> no. No. It doesn't mean they haven't. They just never bothered to tell us about it. Okay. So let's just make that assumption. Then we have this firewall that he's going to create. And he's managing to make a firewall from scratch in a matter of 30 minutes? Well, that could be that could actually be really simple. That's simply explained by saying all it is is it's the networking configuration. He's got a private network within a private network within a private network within a private network. And they have to break through the separate layers. But really, I mean, so I could just say, oh, I've got it in a private network and I'm going to have the password as password. No, no, no. Uh, an actual private network where there's no, not a password or anything like that, but where the machines in the inner ring can't be reached from the outside. So you have to break the machine that sits in between the two rings. Mm-hmm. You have to break into that machine and then break from that machine into one of the machines in the inner ring. And then you keep working your way down the onion. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then Gata is... I mean, he's a brilliant, you know, server admin to be able to throw that sort of configuration together within a short period of time. I could do that here at your house in about 10 minutes. Okay. Um, Joey is now Gata. <laughs> We're going to call you Mr. Gata. All right. Uh, anyway, he does it. Yes. And they decide... Okay, even though we've never, we, we said we'd never network the computers together and Bill Adama would never do this. And it's still Bill Adama's ship and we're still going to run things the way he would have us run them. Let's network them together. <laughs> they don't, there doesn't seem to be any other option. You know, I just, this is not sufficiently explained in my opinion. Why they, why networking computers together necessarily means that the computers that an episode ago couldn't be hacked from the outside. Now all of a sudden can be hacked from the outside. Yeah, I, I don't get that either. Makes because no sense. if they could start, you know, breaking into the computers, why wouldn't they just do it one at a time? Yeah. I, I doesn't make sense, right? Right. Okay. Thank you for pointing, making my point, and helping me, you know, find other, you know, a real reason behind it. Okay, so they jump back. And we see the Cylon base ship, and we see all of the raiders, like, swarming out of this thing. Yes, that was awesome. Freaky. And it made me think of, like, a beehive or yeah. some sort of a wasp nest. It did have all kind of, of sudden, an organic like, swarming kind of thing. Everything's coming it. out here, and it's just sort of like, oh, holy crap, let's run right now. Yeah. Um, and they're coming out after the, the ship. And there's this new kind of ship. Yes. We get to see that there is a new raider. A boarding party raider. <laughs> Which we'll come to find out. So they're battling this all the while. They're you know trying to take care of Bill Adama, which he's not looking good. Yeah. And we have a scene where the guard who is looking totally like, I'm a tough guy. No, I'm not going to uncut your... Your handcuffs, uh, uh, Apollo. Don't even look at me. The next time we see him, he's like, Oh, will you pray with me? Prophetess Laura. I was like, wow, what a complete 180. Yeah. I mean, granted, I guess I could come off as a a, a tough guy when there's no threat. 
There's no atheists in foxholes, Pete. Sh- sure. It's not the, hey, I believe in God all of a sudden. It's the, like, you're oh, the prophetess and will you pray I'm with me? scared. Will you be with me and help console me yeah. through no, our right. shared religion? I just feel like if this guy's as tough as he is on board the ship, can he be a little tougher than that? You're right. Okay. Um, we have the new raider. Galactica's getting pounded. They figure everything out just in time. They disconnect all of the networks. <laughs> okay. Um, now all of a sudden they can't be broken into anymore. No, they can't. Yeah, that last <laughs> that last computer can't be broken into because they don't know where it's at. We can't find it. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, they jump away. They find the fleet. And we find out that Adama has been saved. He's still alive. But he's in critical condition. Yeah, he's in, a, he's in bad shape. And they're saying, hey, get Doc Coddle over here right away. Um... And we see in the flashbacks how Adama really saved Colonel Ty. Yeah. Looked like he was basically... I don't know if this was like... He was about to commit suicide? I, but it was like the weirdest way to commit suicide. Like he was using uh, that... I'm assuming some lighter sort of fluid? cleaning oil. Yeah, lighter fluid. He sprayed it onto his stuff, but it looked like he was just going to like light on fire his... Um, uh, military insignia, insignia and rank and stuff. It didn't really seem like he was clearly going down the path of destruction and I'm just going to end it all. But Adama, who's now a major, is saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to reinstate you and we're going to get you back. So do we ever find out what saves. Adama and Ty were doing in that rehab center together? I don't think it was a rehab center. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be some, you know, low class ship that they were a part of. I think you're probably right. I just wanted to get that joke out there. <laughs> uh, and then the episode ends um, with uh, Apollo getting sent off to the brig again. Oh, was it here he was get sent off to the brig? No, no, no. He's he's just barely landing. Yeah. Apollo's barely landing, and we see the Cylon ship, and the Cylons actually start to come out. The raiding party. Creepy. Scared me. <laughs> I am I know it's not real. Episode's over. Do we have listener comments? Listener comments. Uh, because, again, I didn't bother to send out an email. Now, all of our listeners are terrible because they didn't look at the calendar... And know that we were recording tonight. Okay. Um, Brainy Smurf says, Scattered. As Ron Moore shares, the first six episodes from season two are leftover storylines from season one. He also has um, episode writer Thompson Weddle do the first draft with the flashbacks as the A story. But he said it was lame, so they changed it. The stuff on COBOL was compelling at first because it was what I think would be realistic. But I didn't care after the crazy dogfighting scenes with Galactica's flak cloud shredding up pieces from COBOL's last gleaming. 
Uh, well, shredding up Raiders. I skipped a line. This is some of the best space fighting I've seen on TV. We get another dose of Bear's piece from Cobal's Last Gleaming. This leads me to decide to include a music rating for each episode. Wow. So, Sci-Fi 9, TV 7, Music 9. I can't remember the music being all that memorable, unfortunately. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Pete, science fiction. Science fiction. I gave this an 8, but I've talked myself down to a 7. I just can't in good conscience anymore with the Gata stuff. <laughs> I can't give this any more than a 7 for science fiction. I, like, all, all the, the star fighting was cool. With The new Raiders are cool. Um, yeah, 7. I, I, I'm right there with you. 7. Um, for television, this was really like enjoyable for me to watch. I'm going to give this an 8. I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. Um, although I... I'm hard-pressed to put my finger on why. I think it's just because it's the start of a new season, and I... I don't know. I just didn't... I I, I, I kind of reset. I'm not bought in again. Oh, to, really? To, not 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 as bad as before, but my, my enthusiasm has cooled a little bit. Uh, and, and so it was, okay, you guys need to re-excite me here. You know what I mean? We we ended with Adama getting shot in the gut, and then we follow up with this episode. It just wasn't as strong as I would have liked to it to have been to follow up the previous episode, uh, and so I, I gave it a six. You know, we uh, didn't mention this, but uh, in the opening credits, we have the human count. The human count, yeah. yes, four thousand uh, forty-seven thousand eight hundred and seventy-five. Um, so, and we also don't have the flash forward. Right. Yes. I was really disappointed about that. <laughs> Maybe that's why you didn't enjoy it. Maybe. <laughs> Moving on to our next episode, Valley of Darkness. Working title for this episode, The Blair Witch Galactica Project. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because of all the flashlights? The flashlights, the shaky handy cam, and then the turn the corner and, oh, there's a silent. Ah! Hey, just, that was scary. It was. It felt like a, a really bad knockoff of the Blair Witch Project. Oh come on! That, uh, you asked my wife. That was his, like the first time they turned the corner and there was a sign on there, and he shredded that one pilot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh great! It's the Blair Witch episode. Guess we had to have one of those. The Blair Witch Project. They don't ever actually see anything because there's nothing there. <laughs> there was something there. <laughs> Cylons. Shredding people. Ah. People. Cylons. Okay, so we begin uh, with uh, the couple Billy D. That's what I'm naming them. (laughs) They're falling apart. Yeah. Because, you know, Billy doesn't seem to have been pursuing D so much, and so... But Dwala, being a crafty Cylon, knows the best way to get him is to play it cool for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think that was the moment that I was like, oh, she's the Cylon. Okay, got it, got it, got it. For those dreamy eyes, I I would become a Cylon. <laughs> you, you you would be happy to have a Humanilon child? <laughs> Honest to goodness. Like, when she looks up 
And I, I don't know if they did, you know, the, the Hollywood sparkle in her eyes and made everything else like this cloudy haze around her, but I was like, wow. <laughs> you I, melted, huh? I am in love with this woman. And she was dynamite. Oh. Okay, the power is starting to go down. And they're thinking, uh, what's going on with this here? So actually, what's like, happening? I, I really expected in the previous episode... For them to like sh- at some point to cut back to the screen with all the firewalls on it and show that the last firewall had failed, and there was a virus on board oh, Galactica. Okay, uh, I still suspect that we are actually going to see at some point a side effect of that decision that they made. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I, I right away I was like, oh, you know what? I don't think this is going to end up being a virus. It's the Cylons running around. Yes, the Cylons are attacking. Yeah. And we find out that uh, the only way to bring these things down is not just a regular ammo round. This has to be an explosive round. Which are apparently in super limited supply. Yes. And because they're they're a big bullet. And they only... So they have the regular gun and then like on top of that or underneath it is where they put the... Um, the explosive round. The explosive round. Which, how they ever thought of these? Because it sort of was a surprise to them. Like, yeah, regular bullets aren't working with these guys for some reason. The only thing that works is an explosive round to the head. I assume it's a little bit like, you know, the U.S. Army soldier with the classical AR-15 rifle with a a grenade launcher strapped underneath kind of thing. An AR-15? But that would mean they're illegal to own. (laughs) Those are M16s. Oh, right, right. Um, Okay, so... They have to use these explosive rounds. And yes, we did get to see the human get shredded as he walked around the corner with all of the pilots like, yeah, we're totally awesome. Did you see me shooting those guys? Uh, and he dies. And then we see the real fear on yeah. Apollo's face as he realizes he almost died. Yeah. Had it not been for, you know, those Marines coming up behind the Cylon shooting it in the head. Which, now that I think about it, shouldn't there have been some... Shrapnel? <laughs> apparently the armor there? is just that good that the Because the head just like went boom. Yeah. Apparently the ar- that's why they need the explosive bullet because even the explosives just trap like most of the explosive force inside. I, I give up. Yeah, I- <laughs> you should because the head was gone. Yeah, it was. Like the metal has to go somewhere. <laughs> uh, and the direct path was Apollo. Yeah. Okay. Apollo has to live because he's a main character. Can't but it could have gotten him. cut up a little bit. We, or can we kill Apollo? Sure. Maybe. I mean, after all, yeah. they killed uh, Adama. The only two characters that they can't kill are Adama and Starbuck. <laughs> so, um, Starbuck, we go to the planet, and we see her finally starting to be nice to Hilo. This storyline makes no sense to me. Oh, okay, go on. The whole... Starbuck going back to her house and then they just kind of lounge around at her house for a little while listening to classical music. They finally have a chance to relax. (sighs) What I found weird, not the fact that they wanted to find someplace safe to relax, which I totally get that motivation. What I don't get is that her home, her apartment is really actually pretty close to where they were at. 
You know, because it doesn't show that, you know, a day passed. Yeah. It just sort of seems like later that day as they're walking along, they're like, oh, yeah, hey, here's my apartment here. Let's just come on up. We're going to hang out here for a while. That's a little weird, but I was kind of okay with them, like, just chilling out for a while. I'm not saying that, like, it bothered me or anything. I just, it felt stylistically wrong. Huh. The way that those two characters act in that scene, it didn't feel consistent with their with what I perceive their characters to be. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. But I'm finally glad that we have Starbuck not just, you know, whining and complaining, she's a Cylon. She's a Cylon. By the way, can I just say, if you're ever on the television crew for any movie or TV show, be really careful about applying blood to a, a woman's face because that blood mustache on Starbuck <laughs> was the most disturbing and distracting thing. I mean, it was just like a handlebar mustache running down her face. <laughs> it's like, who applied that? I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> Neither my wife or I could look away from it. Every time they showed her, all we could look at was the mustache. <laughs> I kind of wish I had watched with you now so that I could be aware of it. I didn't think of anything of it. Um, Okay, so we cut away to Gaius. And he's having some sort of vision or a dream. Or hallucination. Or hallucination. Or the chip has been activated and he's being fed something. Anyway, it's pretty weird. Yeah. Because, once again, we see... Hey, this baby that he's holding, and they're they're on COBOL, and Adama shows up. He's perfectly okay, and there's all of these you know other uh, Galactica crew people walking around, and he's sort of like, hey, what do you got there? What's this? It's like, oh, it's a baby, huh? Yeah, let me see that. Is this the shape of things to come? That was the, an interesting part of the, because that was the phrase that Head Six used. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Obama asks him, is this the shape of things to come? And he says, yes. Well, then there's only one thing to do with it. And he takes it over and grounds it. He walks away, and Gaius can't catch up to him in time. Whether he's rooted in place or whatnot, he he can't get to it to do anything about it. And Adama is going to... It kills the baby, which... That's an incredibly disturbing image. Yeah. Even, you know, to just be told about it, no, we visually get to see what, in my opinion, is the height of purity in the entire fleet, Bill Adama, taking this baby, baby which, rep- I mean, babies swaddled are in innocent, white. Yeah, innocent, pure, nothing wrong with this thing, and drowns it. Yeah that's a gutsy move for a writer and a producer and a director to be willing to show. The imagery here is so strong that I choose to believe it's a vision. You think it is vision? Yep. And is he getting a vision from God? Yes. Okay. And so it's so it's not like head six or any sort of nope, Cylon. Nope, nope. This is This is from God. This is from God. Okay. Saying, beware of people in the fleet who are not able to adapt to the new reality I'm trying to bring to humanity. 
You so you don't think it's specific to Bill Adama? I think Bill Adama is one of those people, but I think in the in this vision he represents a class of individuals. Okay, so it's just a representation. Yes. Okay, interesting. Uh, freaky scene and very disturbing and very well done. I mean, yeah. like there, there's no point at which it felt weird that Gaius couldn't quite catch up with Adama. I mean, like it, they didn't even have to go to the dream mechanic state. You know, it uh-huh. was there were legitimately innocent people standing in Gaius's way, and the way Adama is able to weave through the crowd, and Gaius can't. I just that whole the way that whole thing's done, and then as soon as the baby's sub- completely submerged underwater, it's gone. There's like Gaius gets there right behind him. There's can't, no can't sign find anything. Of it. Yeah, very well done. I thought they did a great job. Uh, so we come out of this. And Gaius is asking Six, what does this mean? What is this all about? And she seems to know what has happened Yeah, to, to Gaius. So does that mean that she was a part of it or she helped instigate it? This is where it's one of those, are you sure it's God? Or is it some sort of Cylon contingent that is trying to... Get Gaius I, to say, watch out for Adama or the fleet or, you know, the humans are going to try and destroy this. I'm more know, inclined to creation. believe that it's God and so is Head Six. Okay. That those are part of the same message. And he uses the familiar form of Head Six to help communicate the message. So it's a... It's God using the form of Head Six. So it's not actually Head Six. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so Head Six or God's version of Head Six here. But again, I, I am actually convinced that anytime we see Head Six dressed in white, that's not Head Six. That's God. That's. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. I'm remembering now. Sorry. I, a couple of weeks I had forgotten. You're <laughs> right. That. Uh, okay. So. She then says, well, look around you, Gaius. These these humans were terrible people. Yeah. They practiced human sacrifice. And you can see that there's skulls all around, which doesn't necessarily mean that there was human sacrifice. <laughs> Could have just been a whole bunch of people laid down to die in that spot. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway... They, she's portraying the the original COBOL humans as pretty terrible, nasty things. What I thought was interesting here is actually she grants the premise that Gaius starts from, which is man was living with gods here on COBOL. She says, yeah, that, that's how it started out. So she actually, the, the form of God talking to, to Gaius says, yes. Those were gods. You were living with gods. That's okay. I can, I, uh, you know, my expansive worldview allows for that. And, but you guys changed. You guys drifted and were lost. And well, no, 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 no. This is God saying this. Though. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's God confirming that when they were on COBOL and they were with these other gods, that God is not taking this opportunity to say, no, those weren't real gods. Because you remember when it was head six and she was talking about God, it was always, don't blaspheme. 
you know, the one true God is actually angry with you guys because you're blasphemers calling these other things gods that were not gods. Oh, I see. Okay. But when talking to who I believe is the representation of God and saying, man was living with gods, the response is, yes, that's how it started out. So it's actually a confirmation in a way, or it's at least not the strong negative rejection that head six would give us. I thought that was an interesting detail. Okay. Okay. So the real God is saying, look, there are other gods. There is some sort of additional pantheon or, you know, this is a polytheistic. Or perhaps those were his angels or, but he doesn't feel the need to correct right here, right now in this moment, feel the need to correct bias, uh, bias, Gaius's statement. (laughs) Um, Which leads me to think that the Cylons are actually a little bit off on their path because there's no way Head Six lets that comment slide. She'd go into her rant about, you're a blasphemer. Right, right, because there is only the one true God. Right, and whereas the one true God, when directly interacting with Gaius, is like, well, okay, let's let's not get into that detail right now. Whatever that situation was that you guys were living in, it's more important that you understand there was a fall, there was a corruption, there was a loss, and I'm trying to restore you. Okay. So all of that is a preface to me saying, I'm starting to wonder if the one true God is actually just one of the surviving gods. <laughs> like maybe one of those. Like, and he's like, asserting control and like dominance the, the, through the Zeus, the, if you will. Through the, the Cylons. Yes. Okay. So the Zeus or, or Jupiter, I forget. Let's see. They do Apollo and Athena, so it would have been Zeus, right? I think so. Um, but Zeus and Jupiter were essentially... Right, right, right. but same. I'm saying Jupiter and Mars and and Venus instead of uh, Venus instead of Athena, and so it's 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 Zeus. Venus would be Aphrodite, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But, but yes, the, the correlation between the Greeks and the Romans. Yes. Um. Okay. So quickly back aboard Galactica, we you know they the guys managed to get it to the armory. There's only six explosive <laughs> rounds left. For five people. So it's sort of like, okay, guys, make sure it counts. Um, and we have we go back to Galact- uh, Caprica, and we have Starbucks Old Apartment. Yep. They, they get in there. Apparently they... Okay. If I am there, I'm not going to be wasting bullets to shoot through a door. <laughs> Kick it down. I'll kick it down. I'll find something heavy to bash through it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. She shoots through the door, and they go in, and we find out that she's she's an artist. Starbuck is. Okay. We see all of this different types of I'd artwork. I'd say a painter. <laughs> you wouldn't categorize it as art? I'd categorize it as painting. <laughs> well, the reason I'm going to say artist is because she seemed, she goes in and she turns on the music and it's the piano and it's sort of soothing to her. That's why I kind of go in the whole artistic range because it seems to sort of like be a part of who this is. Well, it was her father that was playing, right? Yes. So I think that is what is the soothing not necessarily that it's piano music, but that it's that connection to her father. 
Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I see. I see where you go with that. Um, wh- do you think that that is consistent knowing what we have currently been told about Starbuck? Now we have this added layer on here of what we see in her apartment. Uh, what we see is, number one, sloppy, messy. <laughs> So in my mind, that speaks of someone who's not fully in control and put well put together. I don't. I'm not making a joke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm. I'm really not. Okay. But I. I. I just. I'm trying to get to the point of. I think that it is consistent so. with yeah. that character of Starbuck. Yeah. Kind of this scatterbrained, all over the place. Well, and type deeply of damaged, person. Right. Yes. Yeah. As we go into it, she starts to explain. Uh, where did I write this down here? That she is fighting because she can't do anything else. She doesn't really know how. And it's, you know, she doesn't really know what to do with these feelings. And that's, you know, what we see with artists sometimes. Yep. As, you know, they're tortured souls. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want to go that far. Because, like you, I don't necessarily see anything spectacular in the artwork that she has displayed yeah, yeah. or that we see, you know, pasted all over her walls. <laughs> um, yeah, it's more like finger painting, which I suppose is still a form of artwork. It's a form of painting. <laughs> That's so mean. Um, and so they just kind of decide to hang out for a while. She finds some cigars, lights it up, and just finally relaxes. See, like, I could understand them, like, going and taking a nap, even. But it's this like sitting in the chair and just putting your head back and listening to the music that just seemed odd. A little bit of normalcy coming back. Is that normal? To her, it was. All right. And they're not, it doesn't seem like they're there that long because it's like the sunlight still appears to be about the same oh. by the time they finally See, I got leave. the impression they were there for several hours. I mean, they could be. We're not really sure, like the, what, what the, the time, time passage yeah. was. It's kind of left up to interpretation. Maybe they took, you know, waited for the batteries to die in the <laughs> in the radio, and then they, you know, left or something. I, who knows? Uh, okay. So the Cylons are advancing. They're coming on Galactica again. We're seeing Roslyn. And her group are trying to like head off uh, away from them, but really they're just following along the whole time. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're you know following the same path as the Cylons are. We cut back away to Cobol, and that red shirt's dead. Tyrrell and Callie. Callie. Finally make their way back to the the other three. And she the the other officers, she's like, Yeah, that's not gonna do any good. It's too late. He's gonna die. And they have this, you know, conversation. Should we spare him the pain of all of this? Now, I think that that's a good conversation to have. That's what a television show and what sci fi can really kind of delve into the depths. It's too quick of a decision. Like, Tyrrell just makes the call because Crashdown abdicates it. He's yeah. like, yeah, he's your man. I'll let you make that call. 
It's like, what an ass. Here, what a complete and scene. total ass. I have more problems with it, but go ahead and you state yours. They're going to give him morphine. Yeah, it seems him. like like a double dose of morphine, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. to sh- shut the system down. Okay. People, save the morphine. You might need it later. Yeah. For other legitimate reasons. A much simpler and just as painless method, just get a big old syringe full of air and stick it right in the carotid and shoot it in there. He'll be dead in a matter of seconds and never know what hit him. <laughs> nice little aneurysm. Take him out of this world. Okay, so let's let's discuss the other methods of death first. And I want to tell the story of our friend Annie, <laughs> who had a snake that had a cancerous growth. <laughs> yeah, don't try and laugh while you're drinking, Joey. Um, and so she's like, it's you know been in pain. It's been suffering for a while. She's not going to do any surgery. It needs to die. <laughs> and so in her mind... A painless death means one where there is no blood. Yes. <laughs> because that must mean that the snake didn't suffer. Our friend Curtis, who's married to Annie, just says, look, just take a rock and bash it over the head. Done. Like it's over in a second. No. She's told, oh, you know what you can do? You can actually do dry ice. And, you know, that'll suffocate it because you can actually, that's how I kill these these mice that I feed to things. Well, it turns out mice are warm-blooded animals. Yes. When it comes to snakes, they're cold-blooded. They just kind of curl up and go into a hibernation mode and, like, slowly breathe. So this thing has been in there for, I don't know, a long time, not dead. <laughs> and so suffering. she decides... Hey, you know, yeah, suffering because it's not breathing particularly well. So she says, oh, I know. I'll put it in the freezer. (laughs) Which means it's twice as worse because the thing is now suffering even more. And it's, you know, it has no oxygen to breathe now. And it's, you know, it is essentially gasping for air (laughs) that isn't there at all now. When just... You know, uh, a taking a shovel shovel and just boom, done, (laughs) over with. The problem is we we get squeamish when there's blood. So we assume, and of course the snake is going to writhe around for a while because you just lit up all of those nerves. We can't handle that. So with regular humans, kind of would be faster just to pull out the gun. Boom. Yeah. Granted, it would give away the position that they were in. It just seems like there's a better way to go about this. But they went with the humane method. My next problem. The guy was having trouble breathing. There wasn't anything wrong with his ears. (laughs) They had this entire conversation right next to the guy. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. His eyes were open. There's no way in the world. I didn't even think about that. He, he is not hearing this not because conscious. Chief finally turns down to him. He's like, hey, buddy, we're going to give you some stuff to make you feel better real quick. And you know what? Galactica's landing. And he's like, okay. You know, he's kind of going home. He's, he's cognizant of what's happening here. <laughs> Yet before, because the camera wasn't on him. I didn't even think about that, Pete. <laughs> great point. That's an excellent point. 
I watched that, and I don't know if I picked up on it the first time I watched it, but this time for sure, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no way are they doing this right in front of the guy. So, raise the question once again. We've kind of talked about this before. You would say just put you out of your misery. Yeah. Don't make make you suffer. Yeah. You're you're basically condoning assisted suicide at this point. Yes. Yeah. I don't have a problem with assisted suicide. Yeah. I've been coming around to it more and more. <laughs> there gets to be a point at which like uh, in in economics, you know, the diminishing marginal utility you of know. your own body. <laughs> yeah, after a certain point like yeah, putting that much more time and energy into it, yeah, you're really not getting anything out of it and it's just tanking now. I think in life there is a certain aspect to that. Yeah. All right. Um okay. Oh, we've got to back aboard Galactica. We have to protect the aft damage control. Yeah. I want to know how does Ty know what they're doing here? Uh, no, what they, who's they? The Cylons. He says, oh, I know exactly what they're trying to do. They're going here and they're going here. And this is what they're going to do. And this is why they're going to do it. And and it's a, it works out incredibly well because they know it. But I can only assume it's because of his experience with the ship. He knows the ship backwards and forwards. He actually That's says what in the episode, he would do. I've I, seen this tactic before. I want to know where. Yeah, g- good point. I don't know. I have no, absolutely no answer to that. Okay. Um. So they're they're heading down there. They're getting, you know, they're putting up their defenses, and they're they can kind of hear the Cylons coming along. They're like, you know, don't waste your shot. Then we see Laura Roslin's group, and Billy's holding a gun. <laughs> Why in the world? Duala doesn't take that gun from him and like say, minutes you know ago. let me take this for well, you. I remember I she had a concussion. This. Okay. Yeah. Go, okay. Fair. Fair. So they, Billy alerts them to their position. And now you've already answered this question, but I was going to pose it to you. So was Billy doing a good thing or a bad thing? Because when I'm taking these notes, I'm thinking, you still assume he's a Cylon, Billy the Cylon. So was he trying to get their attention to come over here and kill the president? No. No, he he was trying to shoot a Cylon. He legitimately was... Well, no, he wasn't trying to do anything. Well, right. He just misfired, right? He just like was holding the gun and it goes off <laughs> because he's a bumbling <laughs> idiot. I actually thought we were going to see Billy die right there. Yeah. I really thought they were going to kill him. Yeah. But he survives. Yep. Yeah. I, apparently, he you know he <laughs> gets pulled out of the way in time. Why not? The president. Oh, does she? Was it she who yeah. reached over? Because then, then because it happens so pres- fast, it's sort of like we don't really get to see what happens because then they, the other group who's defending the aft um, area, fire on those two Cylons, and that draws their attention over to that. And when they go back and they show. The black guy checking out the president saying, are you okay? Did you get shot? She's laying on top of Billy. She like dove and knocked him down. 
And ah, I did not and remember he, he, any he's of that. He's going at all. through her jacket, and where her jacket was covering her body, yeah, there's two there's two bullet holes in there, but there's no holes in her. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, you truly are protected by the gods." Yes, she is, isn't she? She she's part of the prophecy. Okay, um, so they managed to to fight them off. They killed the last two Cylons, but these Cylons, and it seemed like there was maybe ten of them. I don't I don't know okay. the exact number, but that could have been. They cause a terrible amount of damage through that ship. I like the one that like is diving at Apollo. <laughs> he gets it like right in the head, right at the last second. That was a great, great scene. Boom. All right, so then we see we're we're in uh, the uh, uh, um, place where hurt people go. Sick bay. Sick bay. Thank you. Why I couldn't remember that. So we're in sick bay, and uh, we have Laura Roslin, we have Colonel Ty, we have uh, Apollo. They're all kind of sitting around looking at the Adama, and it's like, hey, you know, this is it's tough. Uh, I guess I'll go back to my cell now. And Colonel Ty says, "Yep, (laughs) you will." And Apollo is going to be sent back there as well. And he says, "You're not fit to wear the uniform." You know, Apollo responds back, you know what? Neither are you. Yeah. And they both kind of, you know, agree with that. And Ty's last comment is, thank the gods I didn't have kids. <laughs> I think I can say for everyone, thank goodness the Ty's never yes. had children. <laughs> well, because they would have been Humanolans human anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> because of the wife. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Any other comments that you want to make about it? Okay. Uh, Moving on to comments in from Brainy. He says, I thought this one was super fun and exciting. Saul will get the dirty job done. Uh, Brainy writes something that I'm not going to read. Brainy, I just don't feel like I should read it. And... uh, I said, uh, we said at the very beginning, I, I may choose not to read your comments. Okay. I just think it kind of leads you. Okay. To make some conclusions that I don't know that you've made yet. Or it could confirm <laughs> a conclusion you've made. That you don't want confirmed yet. That I don't necessarily want to have confirmed. Could be one of those two. Or it could or be it none could... of the above. And he was just terribly racist and profane in that paragraph. I, I choose the third option. <laughs> Here, read it and we'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs> he continues on. He does have a third paragraph. One of my favorite scenes in the series is the relaxing at Starbucks apartment scene. <laughs> he liked funny. it. You did yeah, not. I did not. Accompanied by Bear's bone-chilling piano piece. We see the first moment where they get to take a breath. The music for the whole episode is outstanding, but Bear is insanely gifted at piano composition in particular, in my humble opinion. Sci-Fi 9, TV 6, Music 10. I I would agree, actually. That musical composition was incredibly good. Yeah. Joey's Final 5. Okay. We kind of already covered this, but... Uh, what did you think of Starbucks' artistic uh, household? 
I was not impressed if I was supposed to be. Okay. It seemed more kind of... Uh, I think it was just like we're getting an, a view into this aspect she's of a who human. Starbuck is. They're trying, to, they're trying to make her a three-dimensional character. Number two. How do you feel about the colonel now? Same. Same? Yeah. Even though he kind of did get him through this... I never said he was a, an idiot. <laughs> okay. He's just a jerk. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Number three. What's going to happen to or with Starbuck and Hilo? Hint, you've partially answered this already. Well, Hilo, Starbuck, and Boomer, Caprica Boomer are going to end up back on Galactica. I just don't know how yet. Okay. What is going to happen exactly to Facehole? <laughs> Facehole. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's a great name. Who, who's Facehole? Oh, right. Facehole. <laughs> um, what is going to happen to her? What do you think? I think that they're going to keep her prisoner for a while. And then the person who helped Shelley Godfrey get off Galactica will rescue her. Oh, so she gets rescued. You don't think she they kill her or she gets spaced? Or she tries to finish the job? Well, she might get spaced because I'm not so sure Shelley Godfrey didn't get spaced. Because the Cylons seem to treat their physical bodies as, oh, I can throw this one away. I got another one just around the corner. Download into another form. So, I mean, that may be how they're getting them off the ship. Is they're just killing them? <laughs> That's okay. But, yeah, whoever helps Shelly get off the ship is going to help Boomer escape. Okay. And number five, describe the next skin job we are going to meet. Male. Is he going to be in a relationship with a female? No. So he'll be a lone wolf, like Leoban. Yep. Uh, he will be... He's going to be one of the... He's going to be in the in the power structure of one of the 12 colonies. Oh, okay. So he's part of like the political, yeah. Whole so process. he's he's not in the president's inner circle, but he's in the inner circle of one. of I can't remember what they call those. The, the parliament, the body, either. parliamentary body that met. Sure. A couple episodes back. Okay. All right. Good with that. Uh, later, dudes. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, Brainy, well done and awesome write up on the American God stuff. I know we didn't really mention it when, you know, we just kind of jumped right into Joey's stuff as he responded. Um, but that was an incredible write-up and really summary of, yeah. of all of that stuff. And pretty accurate, I'm guessing, because Joey didn't really come out and say, well, he didn't quite get that right. <laughs> and Joey is apt to do that. I, I, I am wont to do that. Yeah. we got to correct the internet. Got to make sure it's, you know. Somebody's accurate. wrong. <laughs> I, I got to fix it. Um, okay. Joey. What do you think for science fiction? As I said at the beginning, I felt like this was more a horror episode than a <laughs> science fiction episode. I'm giving it a five. Oh, really? 
Uh, it's certainly an action-y type of, of thing. I still think it's way cool because you have these Cylons going around through the ship and the damage that they can cause <laughs> with a minimal number of them I think is compelling. Um, so I'm going to give this a 7. You're right. I mean, that, that was kind of an interesting aspect of it is look how just a handful of Cylons actually getting on board can just absolutely tear through this ship. But uh, the camera work and, and the darkness and just the, the way they tried to play it as a horror didn't work for me. Okay. As a result, my television rating is also going to come in a little bit low. Um, I'm, gonna, I, I'm giving it a five. I, I could maybe be talked into a six, but five. I buy into this thing hook, line, and sinker. And I don't like horror stuff, but it was scary. It was creepy. It was... They what they weren't showing us. It was the sounds of the Cylons running. It was the gunfire. It was everything else other than the really creepy, scary monster. And I thought they did a good job of it. And all of the times that they're showing the interaction between people, I bought into it. Plus, you have Duala and those smoky gray eyes. Baby, you look good. So I'm going to give it an 8. She'll eye me suspiciously Hearing the word of the soul. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5 or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. My